Hey friends, over the next few months, I will be interviewing unique people who have great ideas on how to make radical changes in America's eating habits, boost awareness of our environment, and contribute to the economic health of our country. This is Meryl Kennedy, and this is my podcast. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Rise Up Your Bowl. Here's your host here, Meryl Kennedy, and I am so excited to introduce my good friend, um, Nicholas Maslowski, and he is here to tell us a little bit about the consumer experience. Um, Nicholas has been with Pricemark for many years, but before that, um, he's been across many different channels in the food industry. So I want to kind of hand it over to him and tell us a little bit about your story, Nicholas. Hi, Meryl. It's great being here. It's wonderful to hear and see you. Um, so how do we, we get going? So let me tell you a little bit of my professional story. So we were just talking about it. Uh, I'm half uh, Polish, Russian, and Venezuelan. So I've had the opportunity to be in a lot of Western markets, including the Soviet Union at some, at some time. Um, and I've had a little bit of South American, European, and now American experience for the last 15 years. Um, I, I have a very my professional background has been changing throughout the years and I'm good with change. I started as an engineer, a uh, mechanical engineer. Then I did some programming when it wasn't sexy, very like, I think 15 or 20 years ago, uh, moved from the oil industry into consumer packaged goods. And that's where I started getting closer to the customer and the consumers and the experience. I joined Procter & Gamble, which used to be sort of the powerhouse for all this. Well, there still are, I think, um, and understanding consumers and experiences and designing products. Um, after that- Do you think that that experience at Procter Gamble was kind of the inspiration to go that route? Well, you know, I loved it. I, I didn't start at the consumer side. I was coming in as an engineer. Okay. And as a mechanical engineer, and I've been doing this all my life in my career, I've always loved to understand how things work, sort of the mechanics of things before I even start operating them. So I joined PNG actually as an auditor, uh, internal auditor for their entire business. But it was wonderful because I was able to see they had a big array of products. So I was able to see from, you know, IAM's food, uh, pet food in Argentina with beef and all to Mexico's detergent sites. It was the largest detergent manufacturing site in the world. So I was able to see it all over. And then when I went and did the entire round, I started understanding what you're just where you're pointing at, which was marketing and more than marketing, understanding how people make decisions. And, and yeah. I got fascinated by that, you know. Well, it's just so awesome to be in those kind of plants. I have to tell you, I mean, that was some of the reasons I've fallen in love with the food industry is seeing where our rice products go and all the products that end up with rice in them, right? So I can't even imagine working for a big company like that, seeing all these plants and all these phenomenal products that Procter & Gamble has made over the years, right? And then seeing that come to life. So I think, I think that's a little bit um, why I love the consumer experience too, is just making products that people want, right? People want to eat. And I mean, I know that many of our customers here might not know what Pricemart is because we don't have a price, Pricemart per se in the US, but Pricemart is the largest um, retailer in the Caribbean. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
Um, and they're very similar to a Sam's or a club type chain that we're used to here in the US, correct? Nicholas? Yeah, so speeding towards the end. Um, Pricemart is a club business, just again, like you're saying, Sam's and Costco, actually the Price family in San Diego, they started with a club concept uh, years ago in the 60s um, under the flag of FedMart. I think it's a beautiful concept. Uh, I think at, at the bottom of it, and there's, they'll probably say it different ways, but it, it democratizes buying power. The idea is to join force as members, as buyers, and then being able to access the best products at the lowest price possible. So there's a bunch of other beautiful details in the concept I think they added throughout the years. Um, so the price family expanded and developed price smart in the Central America, Asia at some point, Caribbean, and now South America, Colombia. Uh, so definitely lead, lead, leading uh, club retailer in the region there. Um, so tell us a little bit about, you know, how you're focused on the consumer still today and how kind of maybe some of your early, early start um, helped you for this new role in your life. Let me underline what you, consumers are demanding sometimes. No, let me under, underline something you said still today. Actually, yeah. today is the most exciting time to be consumer driven because now the technology is allowing us to do things we dreamt of doing 15 years ago. The speed at which we're able to get closer to customers, members, consumers is amazing. And I think from a sustainable even perspective that I know you're very into it, it I think it also closes the loop and reduces a lot of inefficiencies. We're going towards a world where you don't need to create uh, tons of inventory and then just let it let it sit things are not only you know supply chains have not only gone lean but also product development has gone into this agile mode where we are able to produce something and know very quickly if it works before we scale up so I think it's it's just it's just I, I loved it I think you know for years on one end I was an engineer and on the other I was this sort of commercial consumer understanding person and now it's all coming together and it's I think I'm excited about the next 10 years you know I haven't thought about that but I'm sure your engineering brain loves this kind of time in history because you're absolutely right I mean um, I mean technology and data is changing our world on the retail space and then it's really helping us to understand what the consumer wants to because that's essentially um, what all people that are in the, the grocery or any retail space want to know, right? They want to know what their consumers want and um, whether that's a particular product or, um, you know, how they want to buy it, right? I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit about that, but I know that at PriceMark, y'all are focused on doing some um, online shopping and omni-channel experiences. Is that becoming a, a major focus for your marketing um, side as well, Nicholas? Absolutely. And we've all seen it. COVID was sort of an accelerator and everything that was in plans simply got put out on the street. And businesses like PriceMart that have membership have a unique identifying number for you, which just improves how you know you could be served uh, in the different channels. But I was actually going to go, you know, as you were mentioning this, um, 
there was there was a point you just went, made that I, oh yeah so engineering and also the human side so two three years ago i you know with all this big data and analytics that's running around i, I decided to go to stanford and, and take a couple of weeks there and hear it from the horse's mouth and you know where are we going with all this engineering and how much will we be able to predict people's desires and the beauty i think when i came back from from those weeks and i've been sort of testing um you know data and technology and and all of it is that on one end technology has become fantastic to predict what we will do in a repeat mode and you know the data is out there it's i think it's about 92 percent of our decisions are habits that's, um, that's unbelievable 92 yeah. percent of our habits our habits so when people are you know all worried about computers you know predicting our behavior they not, already have is what you're telling me well they're not they're actually looking back they're basically just Okay. Paying attention at about everything we've done in the, they're keeping, you know, a diary of what we're doing and they're able to tell us you're about to do this. And it's kind of spooky at the beginning, but the truth is you were going to do it because you, you've, you've brought it into a habit, which is fine. The way the brain works, the brain needs to send a bunch of decisions into habit. Otherwise we'd have to be eating so much just to feed the brain to sure. make choices. So nine out of our 10 choices have to be habits. Otherwise we wouldn't, we'd have to sleep every hour just to get recovered on the decision-making process. But the beauty is that you and I know it, you can't hold business just by executing 92% every year. That means in, yeah. in a couple of years, you'll be out of business. So there's another 8% that is uncertain that we don't know what you're going to do. And that eight, 10, 12, 15% we have to figure out to grow business will continue to be unpredictable. So- Well, that's the human element, right? I guess that's the difference. The 8% is the difference that makes us between a machine and a human. And um, it's beautiful. We can change our mind. Yeah. It was interesting to see because, let me give you this PNG anecdote from the past. So I remember Lafley, AG Lafley CEO at that time when I was working at PNG, you know, we were at, at that stage, marketing was at the stage of love brands and emotional branding and attachment and trying to cure, create an emotional attachment to the products you were using because we thought that was the way you would repeat. Yeah. Years later, AG Lafley, HBR, Harvard Business Review, you look, at, look it up. He says it basically tied. We thought it was about love and all, and it was about habit. We just made it very easy and everything was there and you go to your aisle. And now as disruption has happened through different channels, those habits are broken and a lot of opportunities are out there for new brands and new products because those habits have been broken. That's why I also think it's a super exciting time for new good products. And we were talking about this before but I was in a video conference the other day with John Mackey from Whole Foods and he was saying, these are very exciting years for people that are into good foods. Um, and I think it's because a lot of those habits and chains from the past, you know, supply chains, uh, I didn't want to meet it in a negative way. Those supply chains now are broken and yeah. there's opportunity to connect um, and 
some of the decisions that used to be 92% where you can play in as a new brand or a new product are actually become part of the eight or nine or 10% that you're rethinking. Um, so if a good product just goes by, you might just make it and then become part of the 92% of the habit after that. Well, um, and we've talked about this in the past, you and I, in our conversations, but you know, we were blessed um, as four sisters to be able to get on the shelf during the pandemic, right? But what we're most proud of, which is why that statement was so exciting to me, was our quality of our products, right? And the fact that we actually use single source varieties because we think they cook and taste better. And there was some data that I just recently got a hold of that said that consumers care, number one is taste, right? In the, in the grocery section. And so if they can find brands to your point that they feel like taste better and they're willing to change those habits um, that have been built over time, then maybe we can become part of that, that cycle and part of that grocery, um, grocery cart experience. So, but I think you're right. I mean, even myself as a consumer, I want products that taste good, right. That are better for you that, um, care about, you know, my overall well-being, I guess I'll put it that way and my family's well-being. So I think that that's, I think that's important. So, Nicholas, um, you know, one of the reasons we started Rice Up Your Bowl and I wanted to have these conversations with um, people like yourself that I respect in the industry is because, you know, we want people to learn that rice is healthier, you know, healthy for you and can be part of a healthy, well-balanced diet and um, can be part of, you know, that um, triangle that we used to learn in school, right? Now it's a circle. But I just, you know, I know that culturally, um, you know, you, you've got a mix of different cultures in your background, but you service a community that eats a lot of rice products um, in the Caribbean. And then also, you know, where you are in Miami. And so you've, I know that you've told me many times that rice is part of your diet, but tell me a little bit, you know, how, how can we help our consumers have a better balanced diet? And, and maybe, maybe you're doing something at PriceSmart to influence people to eat better and and have a healthier lifestyle. So our region is very rice driven. Absolutely. Actually from two separate sources. Um, and I was thinking about this before our call. Um, you have the Caribbean use of rice and mm -hmm. I'm originally from Venezuela. Venezuela, you know, South American and actually I am born in a mountain city. Uh, we have the longest Caribbean coast. <laughs> so the, the country wow. most Caribbean coast is actually Venezuela. Um, so we have this influence where, you know, towards the south, there's the Amazon jungle and at the north, the Caribbean, and then we have the Andes. It's, it's just beautiful geography. But you see it throughout the entire Caribbean, Central America. Most of the national dishes are rice is a piece of it. So Venezuela, it's called pabellón. And then you'll have rice, beans, plantain, meat, and in some case, cheese, fresh cheese. It's actually very natural. Um, and that variates as you go through the rest of the region. In Costa Rica, Rio Pinto, there's different versions um, of this sort of Caribbean combination. On the other hand, and I discovered this with my trips, then you have the islands. And in the Caribbean, we have, for example, Trinidad, 
the which is highly influenced uh, by India. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but the way not the that is interesting. Seventy percent. I think maybe this number's wrong, but seventy percent. I think it's around seventy percent India, then Afro Americans, twenty percent. I don't know. It's in that number, and then there's wow. actually Asian Chinese heritage. So it's three cultures that blended in Trinidad, and it's wonderful. It's actually Trinidad and Barbados, my favorite Indian restaurant uh, on this side of the world. Um, beautiful. One of them. It's beautiful. It's next to the to the Caribbean Ocean with tur Caribbean Sea with turtles. It's just beautiful uh, uh, if you get the chance to go. And then I think we've all been very used, and I think it's become, you know, Brazil has the largest uh, community of Japanese uh, outside of Japan. So sushi has been very big in South America. So wherever you see it, South America, the Caribbean, based on the either Asian or Caribbean or Indian rice is there. And it's right, it's there in your regular. It's also even there in your desserts. I think one day wow. you were talking about favorite recipes. One of my favorite recipes is actually a dessert made with rice, it's different versions. There's the Indian version and there's the Caribbean version, but love it with rice and milk. It's just fantastic. What's it called? So, I'll have to tell my sister. She loves um, creating new recipes for wonderful. people. In, in, in Venezuela, it's arroz con leche, which okay. I think- So is it more like a dessert type? It's, a, it's absolutely a dessert. Okay. I, I would look forward and it has, um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send your sister all the recipe I'll ask at home, I have a couple. And then there's an a, a Indian version um, that's also fantastic, different spices. It's all about okay. the spices. So the rice okay. is sort of the base. There's a little bit of dairy and then it's all about the spices that go on top. And there are different spices if you're going for the Caribbean version or for the Indian version. So okay. wonderful. We'll, we'll so share. So the Indians have a version of a con leche. Because I've heard of a con leche, but I had no idea that um, the Indian population had something similar. It's fantastic. It's, I actually, it, it's, it's almost dislo disloyal for me because I like <laughs> the Indian version better. But this, you know, nobody's listening. So no, just <laughs> we're going public with this. I'm going to get... Uh, but yeah, wonderful. I'll send you all I those. Love it. Uh, the restaurant's called Apsara, actually, in Trinidad. Okay. So we'll look it up. I'll send you the menu, by the way. Well, next time when we can travel after um, COVID. Some of this COVID is over, um, maybe that's where we need to make our, our number one spot for our bucket list. Yes, you must. Absolutely. the Indian way. Yeah. I, I'm butchering it, actually. I should, I'm going to give you the name of the recipe. It's terrible that I just said that. I, I'm going to be hated by the Venezuelan and the <laughs> community both because of what I just said. But that good. I'm willing to go and say it out loud so that people try it. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, it's interesting because all those populations, to bring it back a little bit to, you know, how rice can be healthy, have, to your point, have rice as part of their diet. And and we sell a brand name Planters Rice Mill in, in Pricemark today, and the product sells extremely well, but, but mainly because it's part of the cultural fabric of the communities there, and really is, you know, I always tell my friends and family, rice is really not a commodity or a food, even in parts of the world, it really is almost like- Fundamental. <laughs> fundamental, or maybe even a currency, right? It's part of, you know, how much money they have to feed their families on a daily basis, and, um, it is, it is truly woven into the lifestyle um, and, 
and communities. And so it becomes, it becomes part of who they are. Um, but most of them have much healthier lifestyles and much healthier just overall well-being than some of us even here in the U.S. And so I think we can learn a lot about how, how they do that and how they eat a balanced life. And, and this idea of rice and beans is kind of this perfect protein. Um, so you, you probably know this and sorry to interrupt, but um, I was having a, a conversation with my wife the other day and we were comparing products from the region, uh-huh. the products we have here and all. And I think there's a couple of rules and, and I think that's what actually characterizes um, sort of the diet um, in the South and well, further South in South America. And it's, you know, when you look at the ingredients in the back of -hmm. any of the processed foods, the least amount of ingredients is better. And if you can pronounce all of the ingredients, that's sort of the rule. So if you start comparing some of these products, I think, and you're looking at your diet, one of the things, at least I think it's very common in the South, and we, we, all, we also have some bad health habits too. But on the good side, I think we go kind of straight to the root. I mean, it's not about uh, necessarily excluding one, but it's making sure we're going to and you know an ingredient that is as raw as possible and just as a funny fact i think here in the u.s you know a joke about your capacity to cook or not is if you could do a fried egg or there's kind of this expression you know if you can do a fried egg or not you're you're that's the lowest part in in ours is rice it's like you can't do rice you can't do rice that you who are you who are you so yeah rice is a big it's a big piece for us well, it's amazing how many consumers can't cook rice. And so we actually have quite a few tutorials now teaching people um, best practices. But a lot of it is um, the rice that's in the bag, right? So focusing on quality and and the taste and, and those kind of things is really important, especially to those consumers that, you know, your consumers that are eating rice on a, on a daily basis. Um, yeah. But Nicholas, thank you for being part of the podcast, being part of Rice Up Your Bowl. And thank you for talking to me about the consumer a little bit more, because I think we're all going to be focused on how do we, you know, how do we really meet the consumer demands after COVID is over? And what does that look like? So I look forward to having lots of more conversations with you as we kind of navigate these waters over the next, I don't know, six to 12 months. And um, I hope you and your um, family stay healthy and happy. I know you have a new baby at home, correct, as well? That's absolutely right. Thank you very much. Oh my much. gosh, you have a pandemic COVID baby. baby. Pandemic baby, yeah. You have a pandemic oh, I baby. I wish you all, all the best to to your team. I love what you're doing. And, you know, one last probably message is, we, you know, we need to keep close to the consumers. And this is a great opportunity because in these habit changes, people are looking for good stuff. And there's two things I think you're seeing. Number one is there's more information available. We're getting to this matrix moment where people can actually learn Kung Fu in 30 minutes through YouTube to a certain extent. So you're seeing it with Peloton, with you know how we've become exercise driven with technology during COVID and all these other apps. And I think 
sooner than later, uh, we're going to start seeing people more and more aware of what to eat and why, and not only how to exercise and all that. So technology and science is not only making a lot of progress, but it's also becoming available. And so we're going to get a lot of information in that eight or 9% that's unpredictable. The best way to know is actually testing and hearing little tests, send it out. You and I have talked about this. It's mm-hmm. just the way to go and give them a voice. And that voice goes Try, along. Trial. You need trial, right? Trial, very trial. short cycles and listening and then giving them an opportunity to, to talk back um, yeah. because they know. Well, you know, getting that consumer feedback is, is extremely important um, as part of, you know, just trying to get a new brand to market for sure. And then creating that loyalty, right? So that real connection between yourself and your customer, because we all are pretty interconnected, especially with food. I mean, to me, food is so personal because it ends up on your, you know, on your plate in your family's house. It's something you're going to serve with love, right? To people that, um, that either are in your family or maybe your next door neighbors or at a party or, or whatever the occasion might be, but you end up in a very, intimate location as a product, in my opinion, right? So I don't feel like I'm just selling a product. I feel like I'm almost selling something that someone else is going to create this experience, right? This, this, this meal that they've, they've prepared. Um, And, you know, hopefully during COVID, we all learned how to cook a little bit better. And that's one of my biggest um, hopes for the future is that we continue that because that idea of the family table, I think is something that we should all kind of slow down and try to embrace maybe not every every day but um on a regular basis so that we can have those personal connections with people uh, it's important Absolutely. Uh, at least for myself i i i felt that that was a a much needed um and one of the benefits of of COVID for me so. absolutely i think we're moving away from transactional business to relationships and behavioral business the tools allow for it and to your point of dinner, you actually made me think back years ago, I went to Belgium for a year in exchange. They prepared us because in Belgium, you have to sit for four hours. Wow. Dinner is a four hour meal every day. Initially, it was really hard. And I was telling my kids the other day, it was wonderful after we got through that. And we sort of tried. We don't get to four hours these days. Uh, of no screen time, dinner together, but definitely, I think you're absolutely right. You're in a you're in a centerpiece, and the emotions that are cultivated during that meal uh, generate memorable m- memorability to every piece of it. So, keep yeah. it up. fantastic. I love well, it. Well, you know, if we could have just all kind of put our cell phones down, then we'd we'd really we'd really have something. But look, Nicholas, I. Really appreciate it. Um, thanks again for your friendship and also being part of the podcast. And I look forward to you know learning more as we continue this journey together. So I hope to talk to you soon. Pleasure, always. Thank you. Bye bye.